This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, Links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Codependency, as we know, came to be a term because of uh, people falling in love with addicts, right? And this person was enabling the the alcoholic. But there's been a real uh, switch in the research and the terminology and psychological circles because codependency has never proven to be a solid psychological um, diagnosis. It's somebody who overthinks, who's insecure, who um, needs boundaries, needs to work on their relationships. I mean, I, I just think that's most of us at some point in our lives. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Woohoo! Yay! Another episode. Another episode. Number two in 2024. Yes. And we have a lot of exciting things going on, I think. Yes, we do. We have quite a bit of exciting things happening. Right, Tara? Like our podcasting course. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for the podcasting course because I interviewed with Navigating Advocacy Murder Diaries, Strictly Stalking, Gen Y, Justin from Gen Y, and so many others. Yeah, Jamie Rice from Murderish, I think, too. Oh, yes. Jake Deptula from uh, from Strictly Stalking as well, right? Oh, yes. And Jamie BB. And Jamie BB. Yes, I love them so much. And we've both been on their podcast as well. Yes, we have. So, yeah, a lot, a lot going on. But um, there's some other things that you have going going on as well. You just, new year, new you, you just launched a new website, didn't you? Oh, yes. And you helped me out with it a little bit. Thanks to our friend, Karen Can that you hooked me up with. Yes, Karen Fan. <laughs> yes, but her nickname on social media is Karen Can. Karen Can. Got it. Yes. <laughs> she became a fan of my show and she wanted to help. And I said, you know what? Tara needs a new website. I mean, I need a new website too, but Merry Christmas, Tara. Here's a new website. Karen's going to do it. Yes, and it happened at the perfect time because my website crashed that day. <laughs> but it looks fan fantastic. And you launched it like, what, not this last weekend, right? Or Yeah, like about a week ago now. 
That's great. And we have some new Patreon uh, content that's been going up as well. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that. We're going to start doing documentary reviews as well, because you've been very interested in this documentary series about Gypsy Rose, right? Oh my gosh. My eyes got so big, so big. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, Gypsy Rose. It's an intense story. And I don't even want to say I have a viewpoint about it. I don't even have an opinion. I don't know what to think. I watched all six episodes. I probably watched them actually at least three times each. <laughs> I don't know if I should admit that. That's a lot of commitment. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. I'm going to watch them once and then we can talk about them. I'll probably watch it a couple more times just so that I really know what I'm talking about. You go do that. Good luck with that. You know me about how I get like obsessed with little things. Yes, you, you you do get obsessed with those things. And then we have, you're doing a press kit thing with our, with our friend Alexa Curtis. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. So Alexa Curtis and I are doing a press kit for survivors. It's going to be a live Zoom on January 18th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And anyone can come join, but you have to just email SurvivorSquadPod at gmail.com. And tell me that you want to come join, and then you can join for free. It's going to be exclusive, but, you know, it's free. It's free, but exclusive. Um, we like that. So um, speaking of exclusive, we have a wonderful exclusive interview with someone who you've been a fan of, even though you didn't realize that you were it was her. You're more of a fan of the actress that played her. But uh, who's our guest today, Tara? So we have Dr. Nay. She is the real person from Wolf of Wall Street. You may know her as the Duchess of Bay Ridge. She called herself the Duchess of Bay Ridge? No, that's what Jordan called her. That's hilarious. I had no idea. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Shout out. I, I know exactly where Bay Ridge is. So now, now, who was she married to? She was married to Jordan... Belfort. Belfort. Yes. Yes. Some... Not, not Leonardo DiCaprio, but played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film, The Wolf of Wall Street. And of course, he became famous after going to prison for robbing people and committing all kinds of financial fraud and uh, made a deal with Martin Scorsese. And if you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, it's, you know, it's a fantastic film, <laughs> just to be honest. Oh, it's so good. I even have a canvas Poster art. of the scene of him like throwing the money at her or whatever, right? Yes. And that is, and that is Dr. Nadine Macaluso. Yes, the one where she's like, you know, you can't have this, you can't get this. Because it's like, in my opinion, a real woman empowerment scene, even though the movie was about her ex-husband, who's a narcissist. Or as she says. She says pathological lovers. Pathological lovers. Yeah, she's got a great. So she has a book that's coming out. What is the book called? Because it's coming out tomorrow or today when you're listening to this episode. It's called Run Like Hell. Run Like Hell by Dr. Nadine Macaluso. And um, and we're going to be seeing her tonight at her private event in Manhattan Beach, California. So if you are listening to the podcast and you see us there, please come say hi. Yes. Well, I'm really excited to get into this episode. Let's get into it.
Now, I think it's interesting that you mention codependent as, you know, what they say in therapy and whatnot. Do you think that codependent relationships are different from narcissist relation or the psychological lover relationship? Yeah, you know, I, I write about this in the book. Um, codependency, as we know, came to be a term because of uh, people falling in love with addicts, right? And this person was enabling the the alcoholic. But there's been a real re, uh, switch in the research and the terminology and psychological circles because codependency has never proven to be a solid psychological um, diagnosis. It's somebody who overthinks, who's insecure, who um, needs boundaries, needs to work on their relationships. I mean, I, I just think that's most of us at some point in our lives. Do you know? I, you I'm know there. I, yeah, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So Yeah. So what happens is that um, it was used in, in addiction circles, and then the family systems theory, domestic violence language, took it over. But I don't think it really fit because um, it makes the victim too responsible for the abuser's behavior. So when I left my ex, because Jordan was such an addict, they're like, you're an addict, you're a codependent. And you know, I'm me, I was like, okay, I'm codependent, I'm codependent, I'm codependent, I gotta heal, I gotta heal. And it was just like, then as I did all the research and I went on, that doesn't mean I didn't have codependent qualities. Of course I did. But that's when I went into Sandra Brown's research I went deeper and saw that, no, I scored very high in agreeableness and conscientiousness. Like, that's really what got me into trouble was my loyalty, my tolerance, my altruism. Um, so I think codependent, we're all struggling with that, especially in our early 20s, even early 30s, right? How do we stay together, but have our own separate sense of self and still stay loved, you know? I think that's very different than a perpetrator-abuser dynamic. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. There I've just been through a lot of therapists, and a therapist recently was comparing codependency to a empath, like narcissist relationship, like that relationship. Yeah. And I felt like she was pulling out things and then putting it towards my relationship when it was not the same. Yeah, and I think codependency like shames people, you know, and it's and it's like when you fall in love with somebody and you believe that they have the same intention as you, does it make you wrong to try to fight for that love or tolerate more or you know, it's like or like if somebody's dominating you and threatening you and intimidating you it's your fault because you're codependent. No, it's their fault. Abuse is always the fault of the abuser. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like, I think that with my relationship, there was codependent tendencies and call yours the other person, but codependent tendencies coming out from my part. And yes. so I was giving more and more and I had to like pull myself back. Okay, Tara, yes. you need to be more independent and you need yes. to do you. And of course, Collier always is a good partner with that and, you know, navigating through that. But it's like sometimes there's ebbs and 
flows where you just need to realign and be like, okay, I'm giving more and more of myself when I need to pour more into my basket. Yeah. And we would call that in like, we would call that differentiation. Like people in love don't know how to be differentiated, like have their own sense of self and still be connected. Right. And I think that's a developmental thing we learn through life. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still learning how to do that as a therapist (laughs) at 56. You know, I think I've finally gotten better at it, but that's very different than, you know, what you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been around a lot of narcissists. (laughs) I laugh, even though it's not a joy. And it's just those people are very particular compared to someone that has just gone through trauma and is an empath in a sense. Yeah, because the, 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 that true narcissist is the, the thing that's at the core of this type of person is they're very antagonistic. They're very hostile, right? Everything's an argument. They feel superior. They think they're superior. They feel entitled. They don't have a moral compass. They, um, they, they long for admiration. They don't realize that admiration isn't love. Right. So there's a lot that goes along with that. And then the, and just like anything, even narcissism is on a spectrum. You know, so from people that like more low narcissism to malignant narcissism. But again, you know, then you go into like the psychopathy or the Machiavellianism or sadism, which is even the worst, which is, you know, when people get um, joy out of seeing the people they love hurt. Yeah. And you say um, Machiavellianism. Machiavellianism. Okay. What is that exactly? So Machiavellianism is the manipulative, cunning, strategic planning part. Okay. Yeah. They're also usually a prince. (laughs) He was a prince. Yeah, he was. But it's like, it's that part that's like cunning and strategic. They're not as impulsive as the psychopath. It's the part, right? That like Jordan set me up on that date, made the woman $15,000, had me show up at the restaurant, right? That's strategic planning. Yeah. They're not, they're not, you know, that Machiavellian part isn't the worst part, right? The narcissist isn't the worst part. It's the psychopathic part that's the worst part. Oh, yeah. I, I think we both agree with that. Yeah, right? So that's when people say they're such a narcissist. I'm like, that's the lightest of the dark dead dread. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that any day. <laughs> right. Like, so that's why I get so angry, not angry, but I just get frustrated from a clinical standpoint of like everybody throwing that word around because I just don't think it's, it's correct. As you both know firsthand, much more, you know, than even I could probably gather, right? A firsthand experience is very different. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the first time I've ever heard anyone throw out that Machiavellianism trait in this group of disorders, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And But it is very, my father was very Machiavellian and very, you know, the, everything is very calculated. And you, know, you said something earlier in the discussion about how they're just, everyone's a tool in their tool belt. And it's so true. Yeah. And it's very chilling to think about too. Like how people can be viewed as like, you know, Mm -hmm. which I guess is why in a lot of ways, 
I think people who who do suffer from this go, enter careers like in Wall Street or Correct. doctors or positions of power and fast money and fast moving environments. Correct. And you know, it's um, yeah, I think it's something that is uh, yeah, yeah, it's very it's very attractive to them and suits their personalities very well. Right. That's right. That's right. Because. And that's why they can become very controlling because at the bottom of abuse is coercive control, which includes domination, intimidation, but also the psychological manipulation, right? The gaslighting, um, the manipulation, the, the challenging your perception of reality. So they'd like to control. That's what it is. It's really, uh, they'd love to just control their object because if the object is a tool that they want to use, they want to be in control of it. They don't want it to get autonomy or have independence or be its own per be their own person. How do you spot that in a day-to-day environment? Yeah, well, that's why in my book, I have pathological lover checklist. Ah. And it's like, so it's there's there's so many, but um, blames you for everything. They love to blame. They're the always victims. They all, they hate boundaries. They're possessive and jealous. They're, you know, and we talk about this in trauma bonds. It's that love bombing, that intensity, that intensity, that fast pace, right? We were talking about that, Tara. You know, after a few months, I want to get married. I want to do this. I want to do that, right? So, Sometimes I tell people, you know, if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh, yeah. I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. So, the, so I have a list. Double standards, grandiose personality, exacerbates achievement, abuses drugs and alcohol. So I have a whole pathological, I have a trauma bond assessment, and then I have a pathological lover checklist. Because if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Do do many of these people that suffer from this, do they do they also have substance abuse problems? A lot. A lot. Cuz that Not was one of the things I worried about my father. Like I always wondered, but I can never find that. Yeah, not all, but many do. Because I do know that sometimes the with the traits, 
they always want to be in control. So I know some people who have these traits do not drink Correct. alcohol, do not do not are not substance abuse because they they don't like to lose control. They don't ever want to be in a situation where they can't be a hundred percent on point, laser focused, and control everything around them. Correct. So it's it's inter- It's kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you know my second chapter is called "Is He Twisted or Tender," and it breaks down the dark tetrad, the compulsivity, the impulsivity, the substance use, right? Because there's like seven different layers. Now, not everybody has all of them, right? But you have to know what to look out for because they all take on their own flavor. I There was a word you mentioned earlier and I asked you about it before we even got on. And I never heard this word before with talking about narcissist. And I thought I was very narcissist informed and um, pathological liar informed that the word intermittent reinforcement. And I thought that was so interesting. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So that's what I spoke about a little bit before where you know, 65% of the time, right, they're cruel, controlling, dominating, intimidating, manipulative, and then the other 35 to 40%, they're kind, helpful, generous. And so what the research showed, I think this is Donald Dutton's research, um, when they went back to animal trainers, they found that the animal trainers that use intermittent reinforcement, which is the mix of abuse and caring, the animal bonded to the animal trainer 230% more than just straight kindness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. Masking is the tough love approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. The, it's more than the tough love approach, right? So that's another reason when I read that line, I had the same exact reaction as you did. I was like, holy shit. People. We have to take academia out of the ivory tower and bring it down to everyday people because that really takes so much shame off of victims. You know, it just does because it's the extreme gestures of both that create the bond. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that because I know that statistic is mind-blowing. Well, it's also the, do you feel that it's, you know, cause you're talking about the highs and lows, right? Yeah. Because these, these relationships are often like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Do you think for, and not to victim blame or anyone, but yeah. uh, you know, but do you think that when you talk about like addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that, that is also about the roller coaster of the ups and the downs and, you know, yeah. And there's a certain, you know, a dopamine fix in this rush that you get. You know, you talk about, you just talked about the horse coming up your driveway. That's right. And that rush of that. Do you think that, that do, do people that fall into these, that fall victim to these relationships, do they, do you see in your research that A, that they have addiction problems of their own or that they, or when they leave these relationships, they maybe go into some sort of um, substance abuse or or because of that, you know, it's like when you take an SSRI, right, to sort of stabilize yourself yes. so you don't have these reactions. Yes. Like, like, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think that what happens is that, yes, of course, you know, 
we get the oxytocin and the, and the dopamine rush, you know, from, from the good parts, but nobody really wants the lows. Um, I don't think you really get addicted to the lows, but I think what does happen, you can get addicted to the drama of it perhaps, but I think what happens is that your abuser becomes your soother. And that's where it gets really tricky because they become the only person that can really give you relief. So that's the piece of how you also, another way you get very, I don't even want to use the word addicted, but very tied into them. Do you think that that can also get mistaken for codependency? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to remember this person usually isolates you, right? They disparage you and intimidate you. So you also isolate too because you're embarrassed to tell people, oh, I've gotten into another fight again. So luckily for me, I was in therapy every single week. And I had a great therapist who didn't judge me. Um, But, you know, you're living with like someone who's like your master they're mean to you. The only thing that gives you relief is when they're nice to you. And then you get like washed in all those good hormones again. It's just such an interesting thing because I feel like there's so much to like learn still about mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. then there's so much information out there. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation. Okay. Which is okay. I mean, that's life, you know, but I mean, I don't even know how many references I have in my book. One, two, three, four, five. I mean, like so many because as much as I personally experienced it, we also do have to go back to the research to understand it. Right. And that's why I did that. Because if we're going to heal and recover personally and collectively, we need the right information to do that. Because trust me, it was not a fun subject to write about. (laughs) I'm glad I did it. It was hard, as you both know. Oh, yeah. So did you, so it's kind of taking back what you were saying before about the film, the film, then people finding you. Yeah. I mean, has that, are you now at a place where you're saying, I mean, obviously you said you have wonderful children and you are grateful that he was a good father, right? Yeah. Or are you at a place where you're like, I'm glad I went through this and I'm able to help people now? Are you in, are you at that? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm also very removed from it now, you know, and a lot of times when I would be going, when I lived in California, I'd be going down, my office was in my home and my bottom floor. And I'd be going down my stairs and I'd think about the patient I was going to see. And I'd be like, oh, that's why I went through that. (laughs) Like it gives you a whole different perspective. Um, And and I don't say that to have toxic positivity because I know there are plenty of people that can't get there right now or maybe will never get there and can't make meaning out of it. And that's okay too. You know, that it's just been my experience that I can In your experience of the amount of people that come to you, how many end up leaving that situation? 
That's a good question. Um, 60%? Hey, that's better than half. Yeah, I would say some people come and they're not ready to leave. And I'm not the type of therapist like you have to leave. I mean, no, I'm like, we're in this together. We're collaborating. One week you're going to come in, you want to stay. One week you're going to leave. And we're just going to go back and forth. I'm facilitating their process, educating them. Some people don't come back. But a ha- lot of women do stay. Okay. Yeah, what were we going to say? Oh, have you seen the show Shrink? Yeah. <laughs> like shrinking? Shrinking? Shrinking, yes. So and he good. he tells her just to leave. <laughs> Stuff <So good>. happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So a lot of women do leave, but in their own time, in their own process, in their own way. We're dealing with women who have children, who are financially dependent, who are fearful. This is very complex, especially when it's families, especially when you're dealing with high-powered men. Oh, yeah. A lot of that. Oh, yeah. I'm from Newport. (laughs) Oh, so, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but I see um, on a grassroots level, I do see things changing. But I'm the eternal optimist, so probably not the right person to answer that. I hear you. Me too. Perpetual yeah. optimist. Glass yeah. is always half full. I know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't think I could do what I do if I wasn't. It's only a crisis if you look at it that way. That's my sort of situation. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's that's your temperament, right? So that's yeah. great. You were born, you know, you were born with that. But yeah, I do. I do see. Some some women and some people like might come and then go back and then come back, but no judgment. I mean, my therapist listens to me every single week for seven to eight years. She probably wants to blow her brains out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so no judgment. Well, you seem like the perfect person to go to if you're in that stage of life or just having curiosities if you're with a narcissist and your book is perfect for that because I think that when you remove the shame that it makes it more acceptable that you were in that situation and you can move past it. 100%. So much of my book is about removing the shame. Yeah, I'm a Brene Brown fan, so I'm like, yeah, no shame here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's, you know, shame is I'm broken, I can't be fixed, I'm unworthy, right? And that's this sort of relationship will really make you feel like that enough. So, and so many people will come to me and say, unfortunately, how therapists, sure, not meaning to, but shamed them oh yeah I had a therapist that shamed me for not doing the dishes the other day and I was like okay thank you next (laughs) (laughs) I don't need shame in that no nobody needs it I mean like yeah we want healthy shame like like we would hope some of these perpetrators would have but (laughs) doing the dishes fired (laughs) fired for that 
Okay, crazy. so perpetual optimist. Yes. So now that these things are coming to light and yeah. becoming more a part of the mainstream conversation, as a as someone who deals with this on a regular basis, are you seeing a tick upwards in these personality disorders and more abuse, or are you seeing it sort of stabilize and people are even maybe becoming more self-aware when they have these behaviors with themselves and in their relationship dynamics? And are you seeing women or anyone who's in these relationships sort of now go, okay, I can see what this is and I need to remove myself from the situation? Yeah, well, there, there's there's a few answers there. So the first one is COVID really raised domestic violence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So we know that because people were stuck at home with their perpetrators. And so that was a big problem. I, I have the statistic in my book. I can't think of it off my off the top of my head, but it definitely was raised. I think that we are raising tons of awareness about it. And even if there's misinformation, at least there's conversation. And so I do think that people in general are becoming much more aware of the tactics and the manipulation and the terms and the behaviors. And I get so many direct messages from women all over the world saying, you have no idea how much your Instagram helps me. They're hungry for the information, right? They want the information and it validates them. So I do think that by getting validated and educated, women are getting empowered or anybody in those relationships are becoming more empowered. I do think that's the good news. I mean, listen, are there always going to be greedy, horrible, untrusting people in the world? Yeah. You know, I mean, I just think they, they will be. But if we're educated about it, we know what to look for, and we don't carry the shame, and we don't let them manipulate us, we have a much better chance of escaping earlier. I like that. I like that, you know, hopefully we can make these people a fad in a sense and not yeah. what's popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just think also, you know, I could go out on a soapbox on this, but it starts with educating people about relationships because you know, a lot of these people that are perpetrators were raised in very abusive homes, not all, and we're not blaming it on their developmental trauma, but abuse is a very learned behavior, right? So we got to keep education going to make our families and our homes healthier. You know, I think in school, reading, writing, arithmetic, reading, writing, relationships. I mean, we don't teach people how to love, how to be in relationships, how to connect, Um so I think it's even a, a, you know, a broader topic of how do we teach people how to be kind, decent human beings and still be able to make money and, you know, self-actualize and right. But, yeah. You know, that's why I became a therapist to do my little part in my little corner of the world, you know. And like what you guys are doing. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> well, we, listen, we have to start with conversation. And that's actually why we started the podcast in a sense. We thought we were going to just have on survivors to share their story from their perspective and us not contribute. But then I 
feel like we did more of a conversational podcast because it was so great to have conversations about what we went through and also to not necessarily agree on everything, but like have a conversation about it if we don't agree. Correct. We've lost that art in this country, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, we have. Yes, yes. Uh, Sarah, do you want to, you have anything else? Yes, I do, actually. (laughs) I have have so many questions I could ask forever, but I'll just ask one last one. (laughs) So what, you're in a healthy relationship now. What does that look like to someone who may be in these past relationships, have those past experiences, and may not know what a healthy relationship even looks like? Yes, so... That's a great question. When I first met my current husband and we had our first argument and we were, you know, going back and forth and he said to me, yeah, I I hear you. I get that. I was like, what? Okay. That's someone has to be able to hear you to be able to love you. And I think that we both had our own little picadillos that annoyed the shit out of each other. And which is normal, but we were willing to make adjustments and change, you know, not change who we are, but be more mindful of how we interact with each other. And, and really, and trust me, we've had our own stuff too, for sure. But um, we've just been really good partners that can hear each other and share many of the same values. And when I first met my husband, He's super, super successful, working a lot. And, you know, now we've shifted roles where he's more my support system and he's not afraid to do that, right? He's not, he's he's able to be vulnerable. We're able to be vulnerable with each other. And um, I don't know, just, just make it work. But it takes effort and conscious intention to be kind to each other and work through the hard stuff. And listen, he's fucked. He's married to me. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I surrender. He's like, you win. And we we have, he had three kids. I had two. We have blended family. My daughter's inside with my grandson. She's going to her dad's, you know, who lives in Florida. So it it just worked out. I love that. Yeah. It's nice. Mm And we're boring. We're very boring. <laughs> the roll you got off the roller coaster. Yeah, boring's good. Guys, I love that. Yeah. Well, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find your book? Everything. Yeah, so um on Instagram it's the real Dr. Nadine. And then TikTok, which is the Wild West of social media. Um Dr. Nay, D-R-N-A-E-L-M-F-T. And my book, Run Like Hell. So excited. So much work. Um, will be available uh, January 9th to ship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fabulous. I know. I'm so excited. I'm coming to LA. Um, I'm doing my book launch party on January 11th, if you guys want to come down to Manhattan Beach. We'd love to. I'll I'm send in you Santa the Monica. invite. I'm in Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll send you guys the invite. 
Yeah. That sounds wonderful. It's going to be so much fun because that's where I started my practice. So that's where all my peeps are. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, it's so nice to meet you guys. This was lovely. It yes. was it was lovely. Thank you so much. You know, I always say to Tara, you know, we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we are all a part of the Survivor Squad. Dr. Nadine Macaluso, thank you so much for joining the program. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. I'm going to bed. It's 940 here. <laughs> yes. Good night. That's quite a story, isn't it, Tara? Oh, my gosh. I Yeah, no, I'm just like, Hearing her story, and I'm playing the movie over and over in my head. It's interesting when you get to meet the real person played by the actors <laughs> and what that's like. Yeah, no, it's so crazy to me because I saw that movie at least 70 times. <laughs> that was one of the movies I got obsessed with. Clearly. Can you name any dialogue from it? Do you have the, do you have the lines memorized? Now you're putting me on the spot and I don't do well under pressure. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave that where it is. Yeah. But maybe, maybe it might come out in another episode. You never know. You never know. Well, um, big thanks to uh, Dr. Nadine, Dr. Nay, Dr. Nadine Macaluso for joining the program. Her book, you can check it out in the link in the description below. What is it called? It's called Run Like Hell. Run Like Hell by Dr. Nadine Macaluso. We'll have links to that in the show notes of today's episodes, along with our true crime podcasting course, which starts January 16th. If you guys are interested, it is a revolving course, so it's it's multi-weekly. So you can join at any time. Please reach out, survivorsquadpod at gmail.com and links to Tara's new website, also in the show notes. And, uh, you know. Until next time, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.